Welcome back to What You'll Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we are reviewing Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. What the rich teach their kids about money that the poor and middle class do not. We did this as an episode about two and a half years ago at the very, very start of the podcast and we just listened back to it and uh, we sucked. So, <laughs> it's a great book. So, we want to redo it again because there's some phenomenal lessons in here. Yeah, exactly. It was a, uh, it was a very stinker old episode. So, um, if you've... If you were actually listening back then, thanks for sticking around. <laughs> yeah. I like it. That's definitely a, a different view on the world, a different view on personal finances, a different view on economics. Very popular book. One of the first books I read that really changed the way I look at things. Mm, it really slaps you up if you haven't really uh, come across this kind of content before and personally really changed the way I look at um, uh, managing your own personal finances. Definitely. It's a bit cheesy and it's a bit... Um, some of the stories, uh, I'm not sure how true they are. But it really does take you for a ride in terms of really showing you a different side of of the world. Now, at the age of nine years old, Robert Kiyosaki had the privilege of learning finances from two dads. One was his biological uh, dad and the other one was his best mate, Michael's dad. And of the two dads, one was highly educated, went to Stanford Uni, uh, the University of Chicago, was highly successful and highly paid career. And the other person, he actually dropped out of eighth grade. Yeah, so two very different uh, approaches to life and two very different approaches to money. So one said, the love of money is the root of all evil. The other said, the lack of money is the root of all evil. One on terms of education said, study hard so that you can find a good company to work for. The other said, study hard so that you can find a good company to buy. And in terms of building a resume, one says, write an impressive resume so that you can find a good job. And the other said, write a good business plan so that you can create good jobs. Mm. Two very different approaches there. And you'd be very surprised who was the actual rich dad of these two. It wasn't the person who went to Stanford Uni and got the highly educated degree and everything. It was actually the dad who dropped out of eighth grade. Yeah, they, they both said that you need to study hard, but both advocated very different ways to study hard. One was study in terms of formal education. One was study in terms of life. Now, the quote, he says here, At the age of nine, I decided to listen and learn from my rich dad about money. In doing so, I chose not to listen to my poor dad, even though he was the one with all the college degrees. Mm, that's a fair bang to start off, the, start off the book. Now, the book is in six lessons, which we're going to go through all six lessons now. And lesson one, the rich don't work for money. And the quote, he says at the start of the chapter, The poor and middle class work for money, but the rich have money work for them. So, the book starts with Rob and Mike as just young kids, right? And they're asking their dad, hey, dad, how do we make money? How do we get rich and all that, which is, you know, not too uncommon. Mm. And the biological dad says, why don't you go and speak to Mike's dad about making money? He's the one driving around in all the Lambos, <laughs> owns construction companies. He's loaded. Yeah. yeah. So, they, they went to Mike's dad. And they said, well, can we learn? How, can you teach us to be rich? And he said, okay, if you work for me, I'll teach you. I'm going to pay you 10 cents an hour, take it or leave it. And what they got in, he got them doing was three hours on a Saturday morning, sweeping the floors and stacking the shelves for 10 cents an hour. Uh, this is, you know, 50, 60 years ago. But even then, that's hell of a, not, not a lot of money whatsoever. It's not a lot of money at all. So, when they went home and told, hey, poor dad, I didn't call him poor dad. <laughs> <laughs> he was a poor dad though. And told him, I'm only getting paid 10 cents an hour. The poor dad straight away, he cracked it and said, look, Rob, you're, your time's worth at least 25 cents an hour. You have to go get a raise. This is just completely unfair. You're getting taken um, advantage of. Yeah, so Rob went to speak to Rich Dad. He said, can you give me a raise? 
And Rich Dad said, this is not bad. In less than a couple of weeks, you sound like most of my employees. Now, most people get to this point, but we get to this point where in our mid-20s, after you've had your degree and everything, and this point is where you get pissed off about what you earn, so you blame your boss and you go and ask for a pay rise and he is the big problem or she is the big problem. Yeah, we try to blame our boss or we try to blame our government for taxing us too much or we try to blame the economy. We're externalizing this blame and trying to find somebody else that we can put the blame on rather than just looking at ourselves and thinking, what can we actually take responsibility of and do to look after ourselves? So, Rich Dad told them, you better change your point of view. Stop pointing at me and Mm. thinking I'm your problem. Then you'd have to change me. If you realize that you're the problem as the employee, then you can change yourself, learn something and grow wiser. Yeah, I think that's a great lesson there, man. Trying to internalize the problems rather than just trying to externalize that blame. Another lesson, he says that, you know, each push, every time you get pushed around, life is saying, wake up, there's something that you need to learn here. So, the kids were getting pushed around and rather than just trying to push back, they need to think, what is the, what is the lesson here that I need to be learning? So, if you're listening right now and you're not happy with what you earn, this is life pushing you is what the book's really saying. You're getting pushed around um, and life is telling you, wake up, there is something I want you to learn. Yeah. And if you learn life's lessons when you get pushed around as such, you're going to do well. And some people do one of two things. You either let life push you around and you just accept what you're getting pushed at. But some people out there, they push back against their boss, against their job, against their husband or against their wife. So, life pushes all of us around and some people give up and other people's fight back. Deep down, we're all pretty terrified of taking risks. We really want to win, but the fear of losing is greater than that excitement of winning. So, deep down, we want to do something big, but we really don't go for it. So, instead, we decide to play it safe and and uh, do what the, the kids are doing and just try and fight back in a small, small way rather than taking that big risk. So, Rich Dad said, if you don't learn this lesson, and he pointed to a lovely employee of his, <laughs> and said, you'll end up like Miss Martin over there. Poor Miss Martin. Poor Miss Martin. He says, I want to expand your point of view so that you can see what most people do not have the benefit of seeing because their vision is so narrow. And most people never see the trap they're in. And the trap he's referring to is this whole idea of the rat race. Yeah. And the trap is that you... You get up, you go to work, you pay your bills, there's probably not much money left over, so you've got to get up again the next day and go to work again the next day. You're saying that we're, most people are living paycheck to paycheck and they think, if all I could do was get a pay rise, then I'd be able to get out of this rat race. But what happens? They get a pay rise, their expenses go up and they just spend more and it just continues on and continues on. It's this fear of not having enough money that motivates them to work so hard and trade all their time to earn more. But then it's the greed that makes them spend all the money they earn. So, all their time goes towards earning money out of the fear and then all the money goes toward buying shit they don't need out of the greed. And this is a uh, terrible cycle they find themselves in and this is like the rat race. Mm. Every Whether you get paid weekly, fortnightly, monthly, whatever your pay cycle is, at the end of the pay cycle, you're feeling like the fear that you're going to run out of money and you're not going to have enough money. Then you get paid and you think, oh, yeah, I've got so much money. And that's where the greed kicks in and you go out and buy more stuff. And it's just this never-ending cycle of greed, fear, greed, fear, greed, fear. And that's the rat race. Now, the hardcore way that Rich Dad really taught him this lesson now. So, now they were at the start, they're getting paid jack shit. Yeah. Now, he said, 
we're going to make you work for free. Yeah. <laughs> so this is really taking the fear out of that equation, mm. out of this race and the, the cycle. And then it made them have to really come up with new inventive ways of making money and not blaming the dad for them not earning anything. Yeah, they went in to meet with him to ask for a pay rise and instead they got told to work for free. So what he said that if you're not working for money, you need to find something else to get out of the job. So they still had to go for their three hours every Saturday morning. But if they weren't making money, they had to look around for something else to get out of the job. And what they found now that they weren't earning anything, their brain had to start scanning and actually working to find new ways. And their brain started taking in new information about the world and they actually picked up on something that they found. So what they found was Miss Martin was cutting the backs off the magazines and chucking them in the bin because once the magazines were done, they were useless. They couldn't sell them anymore. The new weeks had come in, so they had to just chuck the old ones. And so what little Robert said was, hey, if you're chucking these out anyway, can we just take them? And they said, yeah, you're not allowed to sell them though. It's illegal for us to sell them. So what they thought was, let's set up this little comic book library in our bedroom. We'll charge kids five cents each to come in and spend the hour looking around the comic book library. And all of a sudden, they had a very good business model just at the very young age because they learned not to blame the dad and the boss for the money. They took responsibility, came up with their own ways of making, finding ways to make money, and then they were very rich little kids. Yeah, I think there's probably a little bit of salt and pepper on this story here, and I don't know if it's 100% factually accurate, but I think it's a good lesson to think that rather than just constantly looking for, you know, a pay rise is going to solve my issues, look around for what else you could do. Uh, to take a bit of responsibility back for yourself and try and do something a little bit differently to what most people are doing. So that's lesson one. The rich don't work for money. The rich let money work for them. Great lesson, I think. And this is what, that's where the big slap in the face for a lot of people are out there. And now lesson two, why teach financial literacy? It's not how much money you make, it's how much money you keep. Mm, definitely. So Robert said he retired at the age of 47. And most people will be thinking, oh man, retirement age is now like 67 or 70 years old. By the time we get there, oh, it's going to be, it's so far away. How did this guy manage to retire at 47? And what Robert said, look, retiring doesn't mean I'm never going to work again. It just means I get to choose if I work or not. And I get to pick the projects and pick the things that I want to do rather than the things that I have to do. It's like watering a tree and then it eventually grows by itself by um, passive income revenues, which we'll be getting into a bit later. And it all comes down to this idea of financial literacy. Now, if you're going to go out and build something as big as the Empire State Building, you need some very big, deep, and strong foundations to carry such a big building. Now, this analogy is very similar to, to the Empire State Building being retiring at the age of 47 and being such a big financial goal. To be able to actually achieve that goal, you need some serious, solid foundations of financial literacy and knowledge. Yeah, exactly. If you want to build something big, you need strong foundations. If you're just going to go out there and make a little house in the suburbs, all you need is a little tiny bit of concrete, but we want to be building something big, so we need solid foundations to build upon. And he says that the key rule here is know the difference between an asset and a liability. So in accounting, there's a, a different definition of assets and liabilities. Kiyosaki gives us a more of a realistic, real-world definition, and it's a simple one. He says that an asset puts money into your pocket and a liability takes money out of your pocket. Much, much more simple, isn't it, when you put it that way? So, he says, for example, like most people might think, so if you buy a car, uh, then you think that's an asset because you could later sell that and get money back. But really, he's saying that 
a car that you're driving around is taking money out of your pocket all the time because you've got to buy petrol, you've got to pay for insurance, you've got to pay for registration, and it's depreciating in value. So it's not really an asset because you need to pay more and more and more money to keep that. He also says it like, say, a house. If you're buying a house to live in it, it's taking money out of your pocket to pay for the mortgage, to pay for the upkeep. It only becomes an asset if you start renting it out and it puts money back into your pocket. Mm, it's all about cash flow with these two definitions. Mm. So now if we look at the cash flow of a poor person, so they have their income from their job and their income goes all to their expenses and then they've got nothing left over. Mm. Now the middle class, it goes from their income from their job into liabilities like their mortgage, car loans, credit cards and school loans and unfortunately some of the middle class think some assets are liabilities when they get that wrong and then it goes into expenses. Now, the rich, what they do is they, they have their assets, which is real estate, stocks, bonds, notes, intellectual property, and so forth, and their assets flow into their income, and their income is rental income, dividend, interest, and so forth, and then they use that to buy more assets. Yes, exactly. So, the rich buy assets, and the assets is what pays them rather than the job. The poor only have expenses, so every, all their income is going to their expensive expenses and there's nothing left over. And then the middle class, they buy liabilities that they think are assets. So they take out a loan to buy a car, they take out a loan to buy their house, and they're, all they're doing is then paying off those liabilities and then paying off their expenses. They're never really getting anything left over to build true assets. And he's saying, you know, you're never getting those assets that is going to give you income later on. And this is a simple equation of why the rich get richer out there is because they have assets and they grow and then the income from the assets go toward more assets that gives them more assets to give them more income and then they get richer and richer and richer. And then the middle class, however, as their wages increase, so do their taxes and their expenses also increase because they start buying shit they don't really need as well as their salary increases and so forth. So, they're getting, uh, they're just struggling. Yeah, definitely. He says the middle class are working for everybody else and never for themselves. Like they're working for a company for their job to get their income, which makes the shareholders rich. They're paying the government in their taxes. That's making the government rich. And their liabilities, they're paying the bank. That's making their bank rich through their mortgage and their credit cards. And they're never really working for themselves to buy those assets. Now, he's got a story here of the typical young couple. And uh, I personally know probably, you know, <laughs> five people <laughs> who I could just name straight away who uh, fit this mold and probably everyone does if you listening aren't one of these yourself. But what people typically do is they're a young couple, they go out there and then they'll buy a mortgage. Now, they've got a huge loan on that. So, then they might use the credit card to buy the uh, furniture for the mortgage with this belief that the mortgage is always going to go up and up and up. So, that means they can use the equity out of that to put that onto their credit card and so forth. But then all of a sudden, a baby comes along and some of their their income has to go toward the baby. And all of a sudden, they're very just barely keeping up with the amount of debt that they're in, whether it's their credit card or their mortgage or whatever. And then they're pretty much a slave to their job because their income has to service all this different debt that they've, they've taken on. Mm. Yeah, it's very easy to get trapped up and just keep on that cycle and never really get off it. And he says it also like say, you know, we've said that buying your family home, he's called that a liability. You know, I, I can see why it would be seen as an asset. But the, the real issue he says is that you never really pay it off. You never really own it because what happens? Say you buy your first house and say you, I don't know, it's a $300,000 house 
And what happens is you pay a little bit off, pay a little bit off, pay a little bit off. You get a pay rise at work and you think, oh, I'm having a kid now. How about we upgrade? Let's buy a $500,000 house. So then you've got a $500,000 house and then you pay a bit off, pay a bit off, pay a bit off. And then you upgrade again, you have a few more kids, get another pay rise and you think, okay, let's get an $800,000 house. So really, you're never actually owning that asset. You're never getting to the end point where you've got no debt. It's just getting a liability that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger indefinitely. (laughs) Yeah. And houses don't always go up in value. And I think the big one here, which I found interesting, was the missed opportunities for having all of your money tied up in a house. Mm. I mean, if you've got such a big loan and all your income has to go that way, say if a huge deal of a lifetime comes up in a different area of life, there's no way that you can start pointing some capital toward this awesome new opportunity. Mm. It has to go toward that house that you've uh, tied your whole life into. Yeah, exactly. Kiyosaki's advice is to first buy other assets they're going to generate more cash flow. They're going to be putting money and income into your pocket and use that to pay for the house. Um, so it's a it's a very simplistic and easy way, easy thing to say. Uh, but I think it's a it's a better approach than just riddling yourself with debt forever and ever and ever. So that was lesson two: why teach financial literacy, and it's all about assets and liabilities and how they work for the the lower, middle, and upper classes. Now, lesson three is mind your own business. And it says the rich focus on their asset columns whilst everyone else focuses on their income statements. Yes, it's it's two very different things to be looking at. So as we said before, you've got assets and liabilities and you've got income and expenses. The poor and the middle class are constantly trying to build up their income. So they're trying to get a better job. They're trying to get a pay rise to focus on that income. Whereas the rich are constantly focusing on their assets. So by building assets and building more assets, obviously that builds income as a byproduct of that but it's more important to focus on those assets rather than just that income. So, he's got really practical advice here. He says you can really keep your day job, but keep your expenses really low, reduce your liabilities, and then you've got more surplus cash Mm. and then point this cash toward assets that can actually bring you more income and passive income on the side. Yeah, very important. Very important. Don't just go out there and quit your job and think you're going to find assets. You need that money to buy the assets. And obviously, the way to do that Keep your liabilities low, keep your expenses low, use any excess income from your job to buy assets, which is going to eventually build up and can eventually replace that income. Mm. The different assets he says you can buy are things like businesses that don't require your presence, stocks, bonds, income generating real estate, notes, royalties from IP, and pretty much anything that produces income. He says that you should get assets that you love. He loves real estate, so that's why he's most keen on real estate and that's what he focuses on. If you love the stock market, focus on that because that's where you're going to give more energy. If you love business, focus on that because that's where you're going to get give the most energy to. So, there's a whole different array of assets that you can choose in this world and if you're really going to choose the best ones that suit you and really get the most out of them, you really need to develop up your financial IQ and it comes with four different areas. Um, the first one is accounting, so financial literacy and reading and understanding financial statements and things like this. The second is investing. So, this is the science of making money. The third is understanding markets. So, you need to understand the science of supply and demand. You need to understand the technical aspects of a market. You need to understand that some things are emotionally driven and some things just through emotions end up being bubbles and they're really high. So, you need to understand not to buy then and understand when it's actually at the bottom. So, it's a good time to buy and so forth. And of course, you need to understand the law. Um, you don't want to break the law and end up in jail. <laughs> yeah, no, certainly. And that, the four important things of, of your financial IQ, 
you shouldn't just listen to a podcast like this or read a book like Rich Dad Poor Dad and think, oh, I'm just going to go out and buy some assets. You probably need to build up your financial IQ to make sure you do it properly. So that's lesson three, mind your own business. The fourth lesson, the history of taxes and the power of corporations. He says that the corporations are the biggest secret of the rich. And yeah, he's saying that corporations are a way to most effectively minimize the tax that you pay. Now, a corporation isn't really... It's not a real thing. It's simply just a, a document that someone signed um, that really creates a legal body without a soul. But using it, the wealth of the rich is really protected through uh, the corporations and limited liability and all these kind of aspects. Yeah, definitely. Again, if we think back to the two different views of rich dad and poor dad, rich dad calls the government workers a pack of thieves, you know, just trying to steal the money that he's built up. And poor dad says that the rich are just greedy crooks and they should pay more taxes. So, obviously, two very different approaches to it, but I think everybody wants to minimize their taxes, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, the way the money flows for those rich who have corporations, it goes from their assets to their corporation income to their personal income. And their personal expenses are to their corporation expenses. And by doing this, they don't really have to pay any tax because all their personal expenses are actually written down as company expenses. Um, which are tax deductible. Yeah, so the the difference is that when we're employees and we're getting paid, we're getting paid in post-tax money. So our income is being taxed, we get what's left over, and then we buy expenses with our post-tax money. So after tax, we're paying for expenses. Whereas with you, a corporation, the corporation, the expenses are actually pre-tax. So the expenses come off the corporate expenses, which reduces the corporate's income. So, you're buying the expenses first and that reduces the amount of income and then you get taxed post that. So, the difference there is that for an individual, you're getting your income, which is already taxed and then making the expenses, whereas for the corporation, the expenses come first and the tax comes second. Mm, So, that's lesson four. It's about the power of corporations and really paying less tax. I mean, if you look at the big corporations in the world, they pay jack shit tax a lot. Yeah. Of <laughs> oh, definitely. Especially the tech ones. Yeah. Uh, the lesson five, the rich invent money. Often in the real world, it's not the smart who get ahead, but the bold. Yeah, there's a few sick quotes here. We all have tremendous potential and are blessed with gifts, yet the one thing that holds us back is some degree of self-doubt. Another one, financial genius requires technical knowledge and courage. I mean, it, it takes a lot of courage to invest in something because usually the best investments are the ones that nobody else are in. If the everyone else was in, you'd probably find that it's actually overpriced. Mm. So if you actually say if the whole market's dropping and the and everything's dropping, you're really catching a falling knife because Ooh. no one else thinks this is a good asset. So if you got the balls to actually catch the falling knife and buy something at its lowest point, then you're probably going to end up being one of the better investors in the world. Yeah, he says you need bravado, cunning, balls, tenacity, whatever you want to call it. The future belongs to the, the people that have that rather than the people that have the best school grades because they're two very different things. So, Rob says the world is always handing you opportunities of a lifetime every day of your life, but usually you fail to see them, but they're always there. Mm. And the more the world and the technology changes, the more opportunities there will be to allow your family to be financially secure for generations. But... Great opportunities are not seen with your eyes. They're really seen with your mind. And again, it comes down to this bravado and cunning and, and boldness to actually jump and take these opportunities that are handed to you. Yeah, he says right now is the most exciting time to be alive. You know, I'd rather be 
welcoming change than fearing it. So every day, every single person listening to this has an opportunity of a lifetime in front of them somewhere. The thing is that most people fail to see it. So the opportunities are always out there and we need to first recognize them and then second, obviously, have the courage to act upon them. So that was lesson five, man. Lesson six is work to learn, don't work for money. Mm. So job security meant everything to the educated dad. Learning meant everything to the rich dad. Yeah, I think on, I think that's super important is that always be looking to learn more rather than, rather than earn more because rather than taking a, a big paying job where you're working all the time and never actually lifting your head up to have a bit of a look around and learn something new, that's a, a much worse way than earning a little bit less but having the ability to learn more which then you can apply later. Now, this this, idea, this uh, story just popped in my head. I remember hearing about Warren Buffett, obviously the richest man in the world. And coming out of university, he was offered all the highest paying income jobs available to, from investment banking firms and so forth. So, if he wanted to work to earn, he would choose that. But what he did is he actually worked for free for one of the biggest investors in the world at the time. He saw that as a better investment of his time in this mm. space because... He was learning from the very best, getting mentored, and not only that, was building uh, relationships with all these and, and relationships and contacts, which ended up making him more able to earn a lot more money in the long run. Yes, I like it. What uh, Kiyosaki says, some important skills to learn are sales and marketing. So, he says that like the ability to sell, to just to communicate to other people, where it could be a customer, an employee, a spouse, or a child... Just selling a, a product or a service or just an idea, that's the basis of personal success, he says. So, if you can go out there and do a year working a sales job, you're probably not going to earn a whole lot at the, at the start because you're going to be no good at it. But by the end of the year, you will have learned a hell of a lot that's going to be very, very beneficial for you over the next four decades of your career. He says there are highly educated people out there who are only on less than 100 to 150 grand a year, so highly educated doctors, masters, professors and so forth. But if they only learnt this one skill of how to sell, they're only that one skill away from serious, serious riches. Now, this idea of sales and marketing, this can help everybody. And he actually recommends that every single person goes out there and spends at least one year in some kind of sales job where they can actually master this skill because in the long run, they're going to earn a fuckload from, from these skills. Yeah, recognize that you're not going to earn that much money for that year because you're probably going to suck at it, but realize that how beneficial it can be later on. He says, especially to young people, he says, look down the road, look at what skills are the most important skills to acquire rather than looking for a specific job or a specific profession and then getting trapped in the rat race. So look for what are the skills am I going to need in order to succeed in a big way in the future and try to focus on getting those skills rather than getting the best the best paying job right now. So it's a really, really good book, man. And six lessons, all very simple lessons that you haven't if you have never heard them before, um, that really might change the way that you look at your own financial planning. I think it's a good book, man. I don't think it's uh it's a Bible by any means that you need to that's hundred percent factually accurate and you need to listen to every single word that Kiyosaki says. It's definitely important to take some of these different ideas on board and just start to look at life and money and work in a different way and think, okay, what's everybody doing? Is that right or should I be trying to inject a few of these different ideas into there and start to look at things in a different way?